Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Art House Garage podcast, the snob-free film show where we make art house, classic, and indie cinema accessible to the masses. We are keeping the classic film love going this week with another heavy hitter. Last time we talked about It Happened One Night. Coming up, we've got All About Eve. We've got Citizen Kane. But today, my guest Rance Collins and I dig into one of the best movies ever made, Casablanca. If you are wanting to learn more about classic cinema, this episode is perfect for you. We go deep into the movie's meaning, context, and legacy, and Rance brings some fascinating historical knowledge about the film. More on that in a second, but first, a brief word to the Arkansas listeners. If you live in the natural state and love movies, attention, there are a few really exciting events on the way. Coming up at the end of this month is the third annual Hot Springs International Women's Film Festival on March 28th and 29th. It's at the historic Central Theater in downtown Hot Springs, and all of the films at this festival are by women filmmakers. It's no secret that women have been sidelined in the film industry for ever, literally since film existed, and so a festival like this is huge in making sure more voices are heard. I'm very much looking forward to attending this one. By the time the next episode of this podcast comes out, there should be a lineup announced online, so I'll make sure to check in again next time, give a brief rundown of what's coming at that festival. More information is at hotspringswomensfilmfestival.com. There are two other exciting events coming up specifically for women as well. One is a directing workshop hosted by Women in Film Arkansas on March 7th, so that's coming up quick. If you are a female director, this is for you. It's taking place at the Fletcher Library in Little Rock, and you can find more information on their website, womeninfilmarkansas.org, and on their Facebook page. And the other is the second annual Filmmaking Lab for Teen Girls from the Arkansas Cinema Society. If you are a teen girl and you want to be a filmmaker, this is for you. This is an incredible program that gets teenagers behind the camera and writing scripts and designing costumes and doing all of the film production. Last year, the shorts they produced premiered at ACS's Filmland Festival, and it was a very memorable evening. The Filmmaking Lab isn't until July, but I wanted to go ahead and mention it because applications are due March 31st. If you are a teen girl or you know a teen girl who should be involved, more information is at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org. Sign up. It's an incredible thing. I just love that the Arkansas film community is doing so much to champion women. Um, I think that's great. One other upcoming festival that I need to mention is the fantastic Made in Arkansas Film Festival, which is coming up on its second year. I got to go last year, and it's a really fun event. A lively crowd, a really diverse set of films. This is May 14th through 16th, so it's still a couple months away, but I wanted to mention it now because they are still taking submissions until April 24th. So if you have a short film, or you can make one by then, or a feature-length film, any genre, Made in Arkansas, find more information at madeinark.org. That's madeinark.org. I'm really excited that festival season is coming, and there's so much going on in our state. If you want even more, subscribe to the monthly email at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe for more events plus streaming recommendations from yours truly. Okay, let's move on to the main event, Casablanca. This is a big one. Depending on who you ask, this is the best movie ever made. Again, if you're relatively new to watching classic movies, you're about to learn a lot. If you have seen Casablanca a hundred times, you still may learn something in this episode. Rance brings a ton of historical context, about the production and the filmmakers and the actors involved, and it's really fascinating. If you've never seen it, Casablanca is set during World War II, and it follows the journey of Rick, played by Humphrey Bogart. He's a cynical and angry man who owns the hottest nightclub in town. The town is full of refugees from the war, and Rick's club is something of a cultural hub. Lots of shady business dealings going on there. It's also a neutral ground, so opposing French and German soldiers are occupying the same space which is very interesting. Things take a turn when the stunning Ilsa turns up, played by Ingrid Bergman, and it turns out these two know each other, and we begin to understand why Rick is so cynical and angry. Those are the basics. There's a lot more going on. There's political intrigue. There's romance. and This movie has it all. Rance and I are going to go into a lot more depth. If you have never seen Casablanca, this can be a really great primer for why it's such a big deal, and I think this will make you want to go see it. But also be aware that we are going to give a spoiler warning towards the end. 
about three-fourths of the way through because the ending of this movie is a huge deal in movie history. We couldn't not talk about it. So you can listen once you get to that three-fourths mark. We are going to give a spoiler warning before we get into the end of that movie. This is one that I would love for you to see without the expectation of what's going to happen at the end because the ending is great. Also, just go watch it. It's it's amazing. It's famous for a reason. An incredible, incredible movie. All right, let's get to it. Here is myself and Rance Collins discussing the 1942 classic Casablanca. Play it, Sam. You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things can't get away from you welcome back again rance collins to art house garage how are you today Oh, so good. So good to be back with you. Yes, you too. And thanks for being here for all these classic film discussions. Today, we are talking about an incredible movie called Casablanca. Um, how many, so uh, perfect. How many times have you seen Casablanca? I would guess around 10. I watched it for the first time when I was in high school. It was one of those movies that my dad like sat me down mm-hmm. and said, you got to see this one. Yeah. And um, and I loved it the first time I saw it. And then I know that at some point I watched it in college because um, I don't know if you remember Dr. Steve Phillips. We Andrew and I went to the same college. Yes. Spoiler. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is how I uh, But he showed it in a gender communication class. Interesting. Um, what was the connection there? I don't remember what his thought process was but uh regardless i saw it again then and i think i had seen it another time between then and then i i don't know and at some point i saw it i've seen it i think um three or four times on the big screen Mm. now wow yeah um including on valentine's day i watched it um first time i had seen it in 35 millimeter which was really cool and a couple of years ago, uh, I say a couple of years ago, I think it was like, I think it was like 2013, <laughs> but uh, I saw it um, at the Chinese theater oh, cool. in Hollywood. So I, I have seen it many times um, and know it like the back of my hand. Well, perfect. Then you're the perfect person to watch uh, to have on the podcast. Um, I've seen <laughs> this just two times now, once, you know, just a few days ago. And then once in high school, the first time, uh, I think I, I, we were texting earlier, I mentioned, I, I, I think I didn't really have an appreciation for the historical context at that point. So I was like, yeah, this mm-hmm. seems good. But I didn't um, quite understand why everyone was so rapturous about it. But revisiting it, I, I really was blown away by it. And um, yeah, I, so I'm on board. <laughs> this is an incredible movie now. And, and yeah, you'll discover that it, it somehow only gets better mm, the more yeah. you watch it because it's it's a very rich mm. film in terms yeah. of character, in terms of story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many layers to it. And it is, I think, such a good example of how a great movie is kind of like um, the perfect recipe um, for a de- for a really grandiose dessert or something. Mm, yeah, you know, you you have to put in, you know, you have to put in the baking soda, but you can't forget the salt, but mm-hmm. you can't forget the butter, and you know, you have to put in all of the elements. And when you get them just right, yeah, even by accident, you yeah, can yeah, end yeah. up creating the perfect souffle. Mm. so i think that's great and then the by accident piece of that so we're going to talk a little bit about the production of it and some of this really just the stars aligned in ways that couldn't have been manufactured to to make this such an incredible uh, cultural touchstone um but let's let's get into the plot a little bit so um you can i'll I'll let you dive into that i mean i'll try to make it as simple as possible it's kind of uh there's a lot going on in the movie but essentially uh casablanca 
in the context of the film, not in real life, I should mention. Um, it's December 1941, right before Pearl Harbor. Um, they make a very clear point of saying it's December 1941 at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, Casablanca, which is in French Morocco, is an unoccupied territory, territory meaning that it's kind of neutral yeah. in World War II. The French are occupying it, but German soldiers can walk around and nobody can fight each other, basically, mm-hmm. um, in the area. And this place is seen as a jumping off point uh, for any refugees in Europe trying to get to America. Mm-hmm. And it's still very difficult to get there. A lot of people get stuck in Casablanca because they wait and they wait in order to get the money for the plane ticket to get the um, letters of transit, mm-hmm. um, which uh, letters of transit are uh, basically these documents that can guarantee your passage um, to the Americas. And at the beginning of the film, a man is captured and taken into custody because he supposedly has two letters of transit that are intended for a French resistance leader who is going to Casablanca to mm. get to the Americas. Mm. And he and his uh, fiance, he, excuse me, his wife are going to escape to America. And he does indeed get captured and killed. But before he is, before that happens, he ends up giving those letters of transit to Humphrey Bogart, who runs a cafe called Rick's American cafe. He's sort of our He's hero Rick. here. Yeah. He's our hero. Um, and he, hides those letters of transit inside of his piano player, Sam's piano. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And his possession of those letters of transit and then the connection that he has to the French resistance leader's uh, wife end up being the crux of the entire story. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that's a pretty good summation. I think so. It really sets up well that this is a very, kind of multicultural town there's um, a lot mm-hmm. of refugees a lot of people trying to get out and struggling to do that and then it also sets up that rick's is this like cultural center that there's a lot of there's a like when it first establishes this location it just goes from table to table and there's all kinds of like kind of shady business deals happening and uh and accents so yes. many accents yeah, and, and languages types of people yeah which it should it should be noted that Contrary to what a lot of people um, or what was probably customary at the time where you just hire an actor and they pretend to be something, this movie does have a very multicultural mm-hmm. uh, cast. Yeah. There, um, there are a lot of people in, in the cast who are not from the United States, mm-hmm. um, who have very prominent roles. Um, Conrad Veich, um, who plays Veitch, who mm-hmm. plays um, the uh, German... Uh, Major Strasser, mm-hmm. who is visiting Casablanca, he, I believe, was um, was actually German. Mm-hmm. And so he's yeah. playing a Nazi in an anti-Nazi movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he died not long after Casablanca, interestingly. Right. Wow. Um, and then you have um, uh, Paul Henry, who mm-hmm. plays the French resistance leader, uh, Victor Laszlo, who was Austrian, so very, very close uh, to the situation, had actually immigrated to the United States to escape um, World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. If you're interested in his story, yeah. I should mention, I know his, uh, his younger daughter, who is um, currently trying to work to get together a documentary called Beyond Victor Laszlo. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, her name's Monica Henry, and she runs a Facebook group that's called Beyond Victor Laszlo. And then she um, runs a Instagram page called We Love Paul Henry. So if you're interested in his career, he made uh, quite a few movies for Warner Brothers. He was under contract to the studio at the time. And this is a Warner Brothers production. It is very much a Warner Brothers production because uh, essentially everybody in the cast and crew, except for Ingrid Bergman, is a Warner Brothers contractee. Mm, okay. um, you have Humphrey Bogart, who um, in the 1940s would be their biggest male star at the studio. Mm. You have um, their great 
uh, cat. They're a great roster of supporting actors, including um, Sydney Greenstreet, who plays mm-hmm. the owner of the rifle club in town, the Blue Parrot. Oh, you great. have um, he is great. The guy who comes in with the letters of transit at the beginning of the movie is the lovely little sinister Peter Laurie. <laughs> yes, yes, who's he's always so good. a great. He's such an yeah. interesting screen presence. He's kind of, I actually said this to a friend of mine after seeing, actually it was after watching the Maltese Falcon. I think it was on the previous episode of this podcast. He kind of reminds me of mm-hmm. like Steve Buscemi-esque. Like if that would be maybe a sort of a modern that is day equivalent. Very, <laughs> that is a very good comparison. Think about those bulging so, eyes. <laughs> you know, he can be sinister, sinister or he can be sinisterly funny. Mm. It's a very, very interesting, very small man, very, um, CD, but mm-hmm. like in a really interesting way. Yeah. Um, they got SC Suttles, Cuddles Sakal, who is the, uh, the chef at Rick's Cafe. Oh, he's so and funny. it's just like this. Um, and then, um, of course, uh, the guy who plays, oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, the guy who plays Sam, the uh, piano player. Dooley Wilson. Um, Dooley Wilson, yeah. Um, Dooley Wilson, who is, uh, you know, kind of like the commentator on everything that's mm-hmm. going on. Um, has a big cafe. personality himself too. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's just this great multicultural cast um, that really, in my opinion, gets that captures that camaraderie mm-hmm. that comes through desperation and tough times and um, drives home drives home what world war two must have felt like Mm -hmm. as a uniting force for the allied powers. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And then we can talk a little more about Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman and kind of their legacy. But, Mm -hmm. but so the movie, um, it it takes place during world war one or sorry, world war two, as we mentioned, 1941, Mm -hmm. um, and was released before. Yeah. Right. For Pearl Harbor. Yes. And it came out while the war was still going on. Uh, so it's uh, very of, early. Yeah, actually pretty quickly after that period. Um, yeah. So, well, about a year after Pearl Harbor is when the movie was released. Wow. That is really fast. Um, so it went into production less than six months before, uh, after Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So when Paul Henry's character, Victor Laszlo shows up, um, it starts to, you start to feel the political unrest a little bit in this. So it's a unique situation that, that there are the opposing forces, you know, in the same club at different tables, right across the room from each other. <clears throat> and, um, there's one, probably the most moving scene in the movie for me is a moment when, um, a, a group of German soldiers have begun singing, uh, you know, they're drinking and they're singing a, a German kind of a German patriotic yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Something. And um, Paul Henry, the resistance leader, uh, tells the band to start playing. Um, what's the name? La Marcia. La Marcia, yes. Uh, which yes. is like a French nationalism kind of song. And uh, and Rick says, yes, go for it. And like gives them the go ahead. And uh, they it kind of drowns them out. And, and uh, everyone that's French in the club, which is probably most of the people there, um, and French sympathetic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and French sympathizer. So, I mean, anti-Nazi, basically. Um, yeah. Which is still something that, you know, we have to deal with today. Which, uh, unfortunately, timely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, they, you know, get swept up in it, and it's really an emotional scene in a way that would sound, it probably sounds cheesy saying it, uh, just describing it, but it really, it's it's handled really well. And, uh, and I just imagine how that must have hit an audience who was still in the midst of a war. Nazism was a very real threat to their everyday lives, and they're seeing this movie, and, and their heroes kind of uh, having this this moment against it. I just can't imagine anything modern that could kind of do the same thing. Uh, it was really a potent kind of moment, and, and it has so much to do with the cultural context and the historical context that it was released in. It's, it's pretty oh, amazing. for sure. I mean, you can't. I you know, World War Two is such an interesting time period. It's always uh, this is not the only movie we'll be talking about that deals with World War Two, mm-hmm. actually. Um, we will be getting to the best years of our lives mm-hmm. a little bit later. But um, the thing that I find so interesting about World War II is I think it's one of the really few clear-cut cases in a war where you can go and say, okay, mm. this side was bad, this side mm-hmm. was good, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just so 
blaringly obvious yeah. that you have to defeat the people who are killing millions of people mm-hmm. um, because of their race or their uh, religion. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's it, to me, always empowering to watch a movie from this period and see that goodness mm-hmm. in people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and Casablanca in a way is a, is a patriotic film and it Mm -hmm. is a movie that could be seen as an effort, uh, to put out propaganda for the war. Mm -hmm. Um, because it does ultimate, it is ultimately about sacrificing oneself for the good, Mm -hmm. um, of your country, of the world. And, but it's done in such a way that is so stealth and yeah. so not beat you over the head moralistic mm-hmm. that it, it probably is far more successful than any other of the movies that were made during that period. Mm-hmm. And it's probably why it's held up yeah. so well. Yeah, it doesn't get to any of that kind of stuff till pretty late in the film, I think, at least halfway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, it's just kind of noticing everything and not really making any... Uh, blatant arguments i think one way or the other yeah um but then i think you mentioned the um the, oh and i was gonna say too i think it probably works it doesn't feel like it's beating you over the head because it's just such a great movie otherwise too that's not the only thing going mm-hmm. for it um and so you mentioned the goodness and seeing that um displayed so so well and, I, and that's that's a lot of what Humphrey Bogart's character arc is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about Humphrey Bogart and kind of his performance and then, and then maybe introducing his other work to people if they're not familiar with him. Um, but he's, he plays Rick, as we mentioned, he's, um, when we meet him, he's really kind of, I mean, he's famous for uh, Humphrey Bogart's famous for playing these kind of hard boiled, uh, kind of mm-hmm. embittered, uh, embittered. Yeah. Angry sort of characters. And that's very much his, the feeling when we see um, yeah yeah he um he he actually one of my favorite things about this is just his banter he has just these biting sarcastic retorts to uh, Mm. like sydney greenstreet's character in particular uh and then when he's talking like peter laurie as well and he's just going back and forth in these kind of business dealing kind of conversations and uh it's very very funny um Mm. and he's just incredible to watch and he feels and he's incredible it it seems in the entire like first half hour of the movie where you're setting up this character and ultimately, you know, you're heading to the, in, the real inciting incident. And that's mm. the entrance of Ingrid Bergman in yeah. the movie. Um, not the inciting incidents, mm. but the first, like the big catalyst of yeah, the story is so. her coming in and you're setting all of that up and they do such a good job of establishing him as this, really, as you said, hard-boiled person who um, is very sarcastic and sticks his neck out for nobody, Mm -hmm. as he says. Um, And they set all of that up, and you get it, you see it, you know that this this is coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then when they show you what it came from, it's the first time you see his character break Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. all. Yeah. And it it's it's such an incredibly well-layered character and yeah. performance. Yeah, it's all in the performance. But you know, yeah. I, I think that there's an analogy in his character because so much about what we're watching is so embedded in World War II. And I think Rick's character is, in a lot of ways, he kind of represents the United States hmm, because he's keeping to himself. He's pretending like nothing's going on. He's being a pacifist, mm-hmm. if you will, um, not getting involved. He's been involved in fights in the past and gotten burned mm-hmm. and doesn't want to go back there, which is not unlike yeah. the U.S. position on World War II up until mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor. Then Ingrid Bergman, or Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm happens a bomb gets dropped in his club and in the form of ingrid bird the bomb gets dropped in his club and he has to decide whether or not he's going to join the fight Mm. because now he's been hit straight on 
That's really good. I, I, that's a great analogy. I think, um, yeah, and, and I think too, you, so he has this, this, such a strong persona. You do see his character break a little when she comes in. And then after she's mm-hmm. gone, he, you know, has this big moment where he's just drinking alone and like, wow, he's really going through something here. And then <laughs> yeah. with the, uh, the, the famous song, as time goes by, we have this flashback and he goes back and you realize, uh, they were lovers, very involved. And, uh, and that's why he's, he's having such a hard time. And what's so amazing is in his performance, you see for the first time in this flashback that he's, his countenance is completely different. He's very, uh, almost happy go lucky, which is just odd. Uh, He's, I mean, he's in love and he's, um, it's just a totally different, uh, totally different person. Yeah. 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 It's really amazing. It's a it's a brilliant performance. And he's one of those people who I feel like, you know, he's so known for his persona that I think his skill can get overlooked. Mm, Yeah, Um, because sometimes people are so good at playing a certain kind of character Mm. that you don't notice the work that's going into it. Yeah. Um, And Mm. I think, you know, yeah, he kind of played a lot of variations on a similar type, you know, which Mm. is, you know, true of a lot of movie stars. And his type has been parodied over and over again. But he has a depth to everything he's doing in Mm. this movie that it's not just this. It's not just this cardboard cutout. Mm -hmm. It's somebody who's been through some stuff. And and you see that in every second of his performance. Mm. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Well, if, if people aren't familiar with Humphrey Bogart, what are some of his other big uh, movies? Humphrey Bogart's a really great uh, story because he he was a kind of a late-in-life movie star. Mm. He was working uh, mainly on Broadway in New York for a long time. He actually tried to make some movies in the early 30s, and it didn't really go. He didn't get any leads. Mm. And then he had this play that he did in New York um, called The Petrified Forest, uh, with an actor named uh, Leslie Howard, who um, is best known for playing Ashley in Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. Um, and he uh, would not make Petrified Forest if they didn't hire Humphrey Bogart hmm. to play the outlaw character that holds up this little um, convenience store in the middle of nowhere. Um, it also has Betty Davis in it and a few others. It's a really great little movie. Mm, wow. um, but that was a Warner Brothers film. They hired him as a contract player right after Petrified Forest did so well. Wow. And then they were dropping him in random movies, but they hadn't really figured out how to use him. Um, and eventually they kind of put him in some gangster movies. Uh, and that was kind of working. Um, and then he made, you know, he's like, we're talking, he's like 40 mm. plus now. He gets in a couple of movies right in the early forties, high Sierra is one of them. Mm. And then Maltese Falcon. And that's what makes him a movie star. Wow, they finally okay. figure out who he is mm. and what he's good at. But there's like, there's some weird Humphrey Bogart stuff <laughs> before that, because <laughs> uh, there's another Betty Davis movie called dark victory, which is one of her big, like nobody else in the movie matters. It's all her. Mm. And Humphrey Bogart is in the movie and he plays this like Irish horse stable dude. (laughs) (laughs) And and it doesn't make, and he doesn't fit the character at all. And it just like, he's not bad, but it's just like, you know, it's just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. You know, Ronald Reagan's in that movie too, by the way. (laughs) Um, It's really weird. Um, But, uh, uh, they finally figure out who he is and Casablanca is like right after he becomes box office. Mm. And it, I mean, like he makes a lot of good movies after Casablanca, but I mean, it's the greatest movie. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, nothing quite lives up to it. Yeah. But I've seen several others of his I've seen, uh, which is a little unusual for me in the classic film world. I'm still feel like I'm learning a lot, but I've seen uh, Maltese Falcon, which there is actually a podcast episode from about a year ago. Uh, that that yep. I did with a friend, and then John Huston. Um, yep, yep, yep. Uh, the Big Sleep. I've seen that one as well. And uh, Treasure yeah, of actually, highly recommend uh, all four of the movies that he made with um, Lauren Bacall, who was his uh, 
last wife and they were together until he died in the late fifties. Um, there's also the have and have not, um, key Largo. And I love a movie called dark passage that they did together. They have one of those great screen romances Mm -hmm. that turned real life. And he's in, he's in a great little Christmas movie called we are no angels. Hmm. Um, he won his Oscar for the African queen, another John Huston movie, which is a, solid film but probably more famous for the fact that it was filmed on location in africa and everybody got sick and almost died (laughs) yikes the troubled production (laughs) yes i have actually i just remembered Uh, he's in sabrina as well that's one that oh he's in the with audrey hepburn yes much much older than audrey hepburn but he's in a (laughs) he's in that movie with audrey hepburn and william holden um you know, he he remained a big box office star right up until when he died in 57. So, um, and he really, there's, oh my gosh, there's a great movie that he's in called um, In a Lonely Place. Oh, In a Lonely <laughs> Place is amazing. It's like a great film noir. Um, and uh, he plays a screenwriter who's kind of crazy and... Um, <laughs> uh it's it it, it is really good yeah uh nicholas ray did the movie he's the one who directed rebel without a cause Mm, okay interesting so there's the sum total is there are any movie with humphrey bogart (laughs) is going to at least be interesting because he's such an interesting screen presence yes so he's he's probably a good place to uh to follow the thread and watch some more things. He's made a, a lot of good things. Uh, well, then our other star, Ingrid Bergman, uh, is amazing in this too. And so, so mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, what's her kind of legacy like in, in classic Hollywood? Uh, she also oddly uh, ended up in Hollywood, not because of Leslie Howard, but Leslie Howard has a lot to do with her fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Howard, uh, as an actor, by the way, I, as I said, he played Ashley and Gomdalin. That's what most people know him from. But he um, he uh, was considered a very respected actor at the time. And he died in a plane crash in World War II oh, wow. um, when he was in action. Um, so that kind of uh, obviously stunted his career a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, he, uh, he wanted to produce. And David Selznick cut a deal with... Uh, with Leslie Howard that he would allow him to produce a movie that had been made in Sweden called Intermezzo. Hmm. And he wanted to make the American version and he wanted to make it with the same female star, Ingrid Bergman. Hmm. Um, And Selznick had just signed Ingrid Bergman to a contract uh, because he thought she should make that movie over here. And Leslie Howard wanted to produce it and star in it. And so in order to, to get him to do Gone with the Wind, he let him do uh, Intermezzo. Um, and then that movie ended up making Ingrid Bergman a thing. And Casablanca was arguably her first really big uh, success, although she was nominated that year for a different film. She was nominated for For Whom the Bell Tolls, um, which that movie ends up, uh, all of Casablanca is a happy accident. Um, as time goes by is the famous song from that movie, but as time goes by, it wouldn't have happened had Ingrid Bergen not been filming for whom the bell tolls where she had to cut her hair really, really short. And as time goes by in editing, they were like, maybe we don't want this song after all. Hmm. And so they were going to call Ingrid Bergen back to reshoot the scenes with a different song, but Ingrid Bergen had cut her hair. <laughs> and, so that, and so they just couldn't do it. And so they scrapped, re- they stopped redoing uh, cutting as time goes by just wow. because they couldn't match ingrid bergman's look for the scenes okay i guess we'll be stuck with this timeless song that has now become you know synonymous with it's cinema. synonymous yeah and is literally the song that you hear at the at the beginning of every warner brothers movie because the mm-hmm. warner brothers logo now you know the 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 inner title um is always so you have Casablanca to thank for the Warner Brothers logo. <laughs> what a what a legacy that's logo is. music. It's also the name of there's a great film history podcast called You Must Remember This, which is yes. of course a line from the song, and that's a that's a great great podcast. Every episode out. starts with a little 
with uh, Ingrid Bergman going, mm. uh, humming the song. And Ingrid Bergman, it, just uh, real quickly, Ingrid Bergman does have an interesting career. If you are interested mm-hmm. in her stuff, she won three Academy Awards. She won for a movie called Gaslight, which is a fun little Hitchcockian psychological th- thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, she also won for a very delightful uh, version of Anastasia in the 50s mm-hmm. um, of the Anastasia story. And then she won supporting actress as one of a gazillion stars, including Lauren Bacall in um, Murder on the Orient Express in the oh, 70s. Yeah, yeah. Sidney Lumet's version of that movie. Um, yeah. And that is <laughs> not to uh, not to say anything negative about Kenneth Branagh, but <laughs> it is Sidney the Lumet's version. version of the movie. <laughs> With Albert Finney is superior, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and but Ingrid Bergman, you know, she also uh, worked with uh, uh, the Italian director uh, Roberto Rossellini, um, who ended up being someone she had an affair with and married, hmm. um, which made her box office poison because America hmm. didn't forgive her for a little while. Hmm. Um, how times have changed (laughs) how times have changed um that of course gave us isabella rosalini who um Mm. made blue velvet with david lynch wow i never made that connection wow yeah there you go and she um her mom's ingrid and she is hilarious in a movie called death becomes her um then uh a few other hitchcock things i'm seeing on her page too Ingrid also was in three Hitchcock movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, most significantly, a film called Notorious, mm-hmm. which is pretty perfect. So, there yeah, go. there's a lot. There's a lot with Ingrid. Speaking of family legacy, so no relation to Ingmar Bergman, the director, correct? No, although they did work together in a movie oh. called Autumn Sonata, oh, which was yeah. her last Oscar nomination. Wow, I never put that together. Yeah, it just happened. To, they're both Swedish, so I guess they're it's both a, Swedish. A Swedish surname. Same last name, but not this, not related. Although twenty three and me didn't exist yet, maybe <laughs> you never know. <laughs> they only, if only they had that at that time. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking of the director, let's talk about the director of this movie, Michael Curtiz. Uh, so, what's uh, uh, what else has he made? What's his legacy? He is uh, someone you might call like a studio workhorse. Hmm. Um, he was under contract to Warner Brothers for a really long time. Went over to Paramount after that. And he was basically just assigned a lot of different random projects and he knocked all of them out of the park. He was a very reliably great director with a really great visual eye. Mm -hmm. He was Hungarian. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, English was not his first language. So he was much more a visual Mm -hmm. um, director, um, which is so interesting because the dialogue is so um, on point throughout the entire film. It is interesting. It's also visually really great. There's a lot of really good, um, shadow moments and close-up moments and uh, yeah well he was known for his use of shadow in a lot of films too Mm -hmm. because he um he made the movie the adventures of robin hood Mm -hmm. and the most famous scene well there's a few couple famous scenes in that movie but i would say the one that people uh would probably most recognize is this sword fight that happens at the end of the film um where there's giant shadows of uh robin hood and uh uh oh god who's the bad guy in <laughs> in uh, robin hood it's the same in every story uh, um uh, i'm blanking what prince john yes prince prince john yeah. yeah when the when him it's errol flynn and uh basil rathbone hmm. uh are doing a sword fight in the castle and they're going down the steps and there's a big shadow on the wall like that is the big visual thing mm-hmm. from that movie oh. that one's in technicolor though and by the way if you if you are interested in Michael Curtiz, start at the Adventures of Robin Hood. It's so much fun. It is a great version of that story. And it's one of the best uses of color mm. ever in a film. And then he also, speaking of colorful movies, he did the all-time Christmas classic, White Christmas. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, um, yes. Indeed, he did an Elvis movie that's actually good called King Creole. <laughs> one, of um, one of his few dramatic <laughs> One of the few dramatic roles from Elvis that makes you wonder what his career would have been like had they not hmm. shoved him in a bunch of cheap musicals. Um, <laughs> he had a movie and... called Francis of Assisi I'm seeing on here. Who I, I don't, don't know anything about that, but I'm interested what in St. Francis <laughs> in his life. So uh... <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Well, he made a lot of movies. Uh, I mean, like he basically worked multiple times with everybody you could imagine who was under mm-hmm. contract at mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. 
um, multiple Errol Flynn movies, uh, Betty Davis movies. Um, he, uh, Betty Davis hated him, but they made a few movies together. Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he was, uh, just about the best, um, studio workout horse director you could ask for. Hmm. Um, and he could do any genre he could do, he could do anything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's him. There's also somebody else we need to talk about who we haven't talked about yet. Let's hear it. Claude Rains. Yes. Claude Rains. (laughs) He Uh, plays Captain Reynolds. Yeah. We haven't mentioned him at all. He is the sort of the police chief uh, of Casablanca. Mm -hmm. So he has, um, he's French and the, even though he does not speak with a French accent, (laughs) Um, he has a pretty, um, high status in town and he, so he's, one of the people who kind of controls the visa papers and uh, uses his power. He's an interesting man because he, um, you're, it's hard to read whether he's good or bad, kind of. Uh, and you see him doing some pretty bad things, but I also see some some kind of good things from him. Um, he uses it for one, for instance, he's he uses his power to, he, he lords his visa powers over vulnerable women. Um, yes. basically and, and exploits them. promises them passage to america if they will it is implied sleep yeah, with them yeah so uh, but um, on the other hand he is uh you see him doing some kind things and, and helping people out and helping humphrey bogart out in different situations um so yeah he's a, he's a very interesting character you never know quite what to expect from him i you know he is and he plays, it's a character that could very easily just be very unsympathetic mm-hmm. um, because he's, he's very slimy. Um, but because Claude Rains is so charming mm-hmm. in a weird way, he's able to get away with being a sleazeball. Yeah. And it, he plays it in a way that towards the end of the movie, when he has, uh, when he has a bit of a change of heart, it's very believable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and you needed the right kind of performer in that part. Otherwise, that would not have come off. Mm-hmm. And Claude Rains has a very long and interesting career. He was um, he was never like a big, big star leading man type. But he is just in so many great movies. And he's always astounding in them. Um, he's in Lawrence of Arabia, one of his mm-hmm. last films. Um, he... Uh, He's uh, in Notorious, which I mentioned a second ago. He's the main bad guy in the movie oh, wow. Notorious with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Um, and that is, he was nominated for an Oscar for that movie, as he was Casablanca, um, because it's just a great, great performance. There's a Michael Curtiz film where he plays the um, the patriarch of this of four daughters, and the movie is called Four Daughters. Um, <laughs> And it's just a really sweet little family movie. Um, it, so he he was always he's also in uh, Ronald Reagan's most famous film, um, a movie called King's Row. There are no famous Ronald Reagan movies. I should I should <laughs> preface um, he became a bigger star retroactively, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> but he uh, he is in this movie called. Uh, king's row where the big thing that happens is he gets his legs amputated in the film um and claude rains is kind of this like weird doctor in the movie um he exits pretty quickly but it's it's very interesting Hmm. ronald reagan has the line um where's the rest of me which ended up being the title of his autobiography so i mean wow um (laughs) there's your through line um but claude rains is uh is just He's always perfect in every movie he's in. He's also in a movie that came out this year, and by this year I mean 1942, mm. um, called Now Voyager that was filmed back-to-back with Casablanca. They even share a train station set. Wow. Um, and they share a composer. Max Steiner did both movies. Uh, Paul Henry is the male lead in the movie. Claude Rains is another one of the leads in the movie. Um, and, uh, Betty Davis, that's a Betty Davis tearjerker basically, but, uh, uh, it is also another great example of a great Warner Brothers movies. Uh, Warner Brothers, it was a factory, you know, they, Hmm. they plugged in all these people and sometimes, uh, that accidentally turned into magic. Yeah. Wow. 
Oh, it certainly hit hard in Casablanca. Um, well, let me see. Should, should we go ahead and let, let's go ahead and jump into the story's ending because it's the ending is, I mean, it's one of the most famous scenes in the movie and in movie history. So I feel like we yeah. should talk about it. So uh, if you have not seen it, we are going to get into some spoilers right now. I would recommend pausing and going to watch it um, mm-hmm. because it really is amazing. And, and having that experience the first time, I think is important so i mean like it's also the on the afi 2007 top 100 list it's number three yeah so i mean it's not we're not the only people who think this is a good movie (laughs) (laughs) you need you need to get on this yes it's a Um, a heavy hitter um okay well spoiler warning out of the way uh explain the ending for us rance okay so um the movie all leads to uh rick Humphrey Bogart's character deciding that he's going to do the right thing, um, which is give the uh, letters of transit to Ingrid Bergman and Paul Henry so that uh, Paul Henry can continue his work with the French resistance Mm -hmm. over in America and take down the Nazis. Um, But in the process of getting there, he's convinced um, he and Ingrid Bergman kind of fall back in love Mm -hmm. and, and he, she thinks that, you know, he's going to send off Paul Henry and she'll stay behind with him. And then he tells Claude Rains that he's going to um, uh, go off on the plane with Ingrid Bergman on his own and leave Paul Henry to be uh, captured by the Nazis. Like there's. Yes. Everyone in the situation thinks it's going to happen a different way. uh, And then we as the audience are waiting for what's actually going to happen. And it also Humphrey Bogart's uh, real plan is to, send Paul Henry off with Ingrid Bergman. He knows that, that his character needs his wife by his side in order to have that inspiration to keep going. And he knows that if she stays with him, she might die. Mm. So he's saving her life. He's saving his life. He ends up doing the right thing. And basically, uh, Paul Henry says it, um, at the end of the movie, he says, uh, welcome back to the fight i at this time i know we'll win which is amazing because they didn't know they were gonna win they didn't yeah yeah (laughs) they're just hoping at that point you know um yeah and just imagining seeing that in 1941 or 1942 uh, is yeah incredible but yeah no and then of course um there ends up being a scene just between ingrid bergman and humphrey bogart at the airport where they where she's protesting she doesn't want to go And he gives the like most epic, wonderful speech Mm. um, explaining why she has to explain why they can't be together and explaining why the last like 48 hours have brought back Paris Mm. where they fell in love. Mm. Uh, We'll always have Paris being blind. He says, here's looking at you kid. And he says, Mm. the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Mm. He basically just rattles off yeah. quote after quote after quote <laughs> that we'll hear parody for years to come. Gold just coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and there's these incredible close ups of both of them mm. that have that perfect black and white misty quality. Mm, and nice the set yeah. is this fog shrouded um, airport. Uh, that was actually inside of a soundstage at Warner Brothers. Um, they used a miniature airplane in the background, and they used um, little people to man that airplane so it looked like it was bigger and farther away. Which is um, and such an interesting detail that fog. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that scene just to realize that now because, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. learned that after seeing it. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, anyway. But you're so swept up in the story yeah. by that point that even if there is a moment that makes where it, it's obvious that it's not a real plane, mm-hmm. you aren't even you're not even there because you're so yeah. mm-hmm. involved in what's going to happen to those three little people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, of course, uh, Claude Rains's character, um, he ends up uh, Louis. He ends up uh, not. Uh, switching over to the right side of history. And that leads to him saying the line, round up the usual suspects. There's just so many quotes that happen in in the last like five minutes of this movie. It's a little... (laughs) And then the very last line of the film, um, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, you know? Yeah. Um, It's embarrassing how many incredible lines are in this short, short period of time. Again, there was never a final script 
Mm. The whole time they were shooting, it's all an accident. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, so uh, the, the way that kind of final moment plays out, so that they're about to fly away, the plane's on the way out, and then the German uh, Major Strasser shows up, and it's like, oh no, he's going to ruin everything. And then um, Humphrey Bogart pulls a gun on him and says, if you call the radio tower, I'm, I'm going to shoot you. And there hasn't been anything violent so far in the movie. Like There's been the presence of a gun a few times, but... Uh, nobody's been shot yeah it's you're thinking well that's not gonna happen probably um and then he keeps going and he shoots him i mean and he's dead and then the the thing that um claude rains does to to redeem himself essentially is uh he he covers for him by saying yeah round up of usual suspects and and we're gonna pretend we don't know that rick did this and uh, yeah it's inspiring It, it like really shows like like man you know when when it, when the chips get down, we're all gonna we're gonna be there for each other. Mm. You know, it's yeah. it sends out such a powerful message in a really subtle way. Yeah, it also know? sets up Rick to do to be in the perfect situation to do all the wrong things, and yet mm-hmm. he still uh, comes through. And, and I think that's really great too. Yeah, I mean, he could very easily in this scenario, he could very easily just go off with the girl he loves. Yeah, he's got Elsa back, and, and yeah. And he could have he could have set it up to where, you know, he could have sacrificed um, Victor Laszlo so mm-hmm. that he could have and thrown him to the Nazis. And Ingrid Bergman might have not even been the wiser to the fact yeah. that he was doing that. You it's know? essentially like, but he the love of your life or the Nazis win. Like, make the choice. Yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> quite a setup, but it's and it gets believable and it really really works. But yeah, and it's just remarkable that this comes out you know so a year after when it supposedly takes place Mm. um and we don't know the outcome of the war and yet here we have this incredibly hopeful patriotic film Mm. every the war is still raging it's it's not even to its height yet Mm. overseas and this movie comes out it comes out right at the end of um 1942 so close to the end of 42 does it premiere that it actually doesn't even qualify for the 1942 Oscars. Mm. Um, and so well received was the film that it was still in the minds of voters when the 1943 Oscars came along and even, you know, uh, over a year after it yeah. was released or premiered, I should say, it still ended up winning best picture, best director, um, which doesn't really happen. Probably should have, Probably should have been best actor, but you know it's mm. fine. Yeah, he was nominated at least, and then Claude Rains was nominated as well for supporting. But uh, you yeah. mentioned earlier, no, uh, no Ingrid Bergman. She was nominated for something else that year. Yeah, I um, I I I know the people who won in those categories, and I understand their wins. Mm. So it's very it's difficult for me to argue about it. Humphrey Bogart does eventually get an Oscar, mm. so that helps uh claude rains doesn't which is a bit of a bummer but he is the performance he lost against is almost a leading performance it's Hmm. charles coburn in a movie called the more the merrier Hmm. um which is delightful by the way if you ever want to watch a great little romantic comedy (laughs) um (laughs) and he plays a matchmaker between these two people in the film it's another wartime movie as well Hmm. um but Casablanca uh, wins for Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay. Best Director so. and Best Screenplay. Which, I mean, you know, it probably should have won Cinematography too, but it's okay. Mm. I mean, like... <laughs> We're not mad. We're not bitter. Or, or the score. <laughs> the score is perfect. Like, I mean, like, there's... It's literally one of those movies where every element is just dead on, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, the the legacy, it comes from that, like it's on the filmmaking side, it's firing on all cylinders, mm-hmm. actors, the screenplay, the music, but then also having that cultural potency and, and uh, hitting the, the zeitgeist in that way, I think. And you think about, you think about how many times, you know, they get together every single heavy hitter in movies and you got, you got the Spielberg directing and you got, you know, um, you know, uh, the biggest movie stars and you got... You got John Williams. You know, you get all the mm-hmm. different parts and pieces, and yet so rarely does that. It, I mean, that will yeah. often yield a good movie, but does it mm-hmm. yield the greatest movie when they intentionally try to put the greatest movie ever together? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, not. But for whatever reason, 
this movie, which was pumped out in a series of a lot of other movie movies being pumped out, ends up being perfect. Yeah, my goodness, yeah. the stars aligned. You, you can't it's replicate just sometimes it. Yeah. It just happens. <laughs> it's just lightning in the bottle. Amazing. You know. Do you have any other? Um, um, and go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I know you really enjoyed the Bugs Bunny connection with It Happened One Night, and there is a Looney Tunes parody, um, of course, because it's a Warner Brothers property. There's That's a Looney Tunes. Ask, actually, what, what legacy <laughs> and what, what parodies do you know of for this one? Uh, yeah, well, there is, uh, there's Carol Blanca, which is the Looney Tunes parody. Carol. Actually, I think it came out in like the 90s. It was a lot, it was a lot later, but it's really funny. Um, there's been Casablanca parodies left and right. Of course the dialogue is often referenced in other mm-hmm. movies and TV shows, but there's also, I mean, like I know when I was growing up, I remember the episode of boy meets world that <laughs> yeah. there's an episode. I think it's in the last season. It's after Corey and Topanga get married. Um, spoiler, Corey <laughs> so, and Topanga end up getting married in the last boy meets season. World of boy meets world. Spoilers. I have to put a boy meets world spoiler alert on the, the podcast notes. I mean, like, Corey, the last few seasons of Boy Meets World really beat you over the head with Corey and Topanga are destined to be together. Yeah. So, um, which, not complaining, I, I totally shipped them, don't get me wrong. Um, but <laughs> watched it every Friday night on TGIF. But um, they had an episode where, like, Topanga is, like, clearing out their closet and she discovers this, like, um, this, like, time-traveling thing in their mm. closet and falls into it and she's in like this rick's cafe black and white situation and all the characters are playing send-ups of casablanca characters that sounds amazing um, I'm yeah i mean i'm sure it was cheesy as can be but i really enjoyed it when at the time and i hadn't even seen casablanca yet so i well, mean there you go. the one that i grew um, up with uh always seeing was a, a movie called a screwball comedy called uh, what's up doc with barbara uh, streisand and uh, yes. there's a big scene where so yeah i'd heard the song and heard some of these lines before i'd ever seen the movie but uh, she uh, is wooing ryan o'neill and almost like mm-hmm. psychotically chasing him <laughs> <laughs> and uh i she... mean not almost it's pretty <laughs> yeah. psychotic she's, she's a little borderline the whole movie <laughs> yes absolutely. by borderline i mean borderline personality disorder yeah yeah um, that's true <laughs> she uh she they sing as time goes by on the piano she does a humphrey bogart impression kind of she's doing this quirky cutesy thing the whole time which you know so you kind of skirt over the fact that she's like potentially ruining people's lives with her antics but it's also just really funny no, I mean, I I will say that if you ever need a jumping off point for Barbara Streisand, that's a that's a great mm, point. A perfect her. one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's up, Doc? Is also uh, Peter Bogdanovich is a huge film fan, and he's the guy who directed that movie. And so, What's up, Doc? Was very intentionally supposed supposed to be embedded with tons and tons of film references mm. because he um, was a huge film fan. It's so, so funny. It's got a great chase scene all across San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very zany uh, and just really It's a great sightseeing. Yeah. You, you, you see, you a, see lot a lot of, of city, yeah. a lot of famous San Francisco locations in that film. Uh, Ryan O'Neill is the... And then it's also Madeline Kahn's first movie, mm-hmm. which she's yes, one of the funniest right. yeah, I remember women ever. That. I've seen it like oh, 10 times probably, but I remember realizing, oh, it says introducing Madeline Kahn. It was her first thing. Yeah. I know. Wow. Um, I mean, like, without without what's up, Doc? Do we have Blazing Saddles? Do we have Young Frankenstein? <laughs> do we have Clue? I mean, I don't want to we probably such a world. <laughs> I don't even. I mean, like, what would we do without the gif of Madeline Kahn saying "flames, flames, flames" on the side of my face? Um, I said without Sorry. inflection, but I hope yeah, you, you know go. where that's from. Um, <laughs> Mrs. White, I think, is the character she plays in Clue. Anyway. Yes, I just watched um, that actually for the first time about a month ago. I only saw it for the first... I knew some of the quotes because yeah, people... You know, it's one of those things. movies that is referenced. But I saw it for the first time like a year ago, and it, it's great. It's, so funny. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. really funny. <laughs> um, and great cast, yeah. too. Like, Absolutely. Um, anyway, and then of course, uh, the, the number of quotable lines in this movie have yeah, led to... Yeah, I was going to say, even, do you have any other favorite quotes? Well, there? there's a Woody Allen movie called Played Again, Sam, um, which is a reference to a line in this movie that is misquoted in part because of a movie being called Played Again, Sam. 
it's really play it, Sam. Mm. And you mm. played it for her. You can play it for me. And they're talking about as time goes by um, being mm. the big song of yeah. the film. And of course, as time goes by is one of those, I think it was ranked like, I think it's ranked number two on the AFI's movie song movie list. Song. Um, What's number one? Uh, Over the Rainbow is oh, number yeah, one. Makes sense. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You could, if you had thought about that for a couple of seconds, I think you would have gotten yeah, it. I probably would have I, guessed it, that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, although, you know, What's Up Talk is on that list too. Really? <laughs> it's on that. I, 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 I don't think I'm making this up, but the, you're the top, the, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the, uh, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. I hope I didn't make that up. I feel like that's a thing. I'll I'll Um, check it in the show notes. (laughs) I, (laughs) I, um, anyway, uh, yeah, this movie, uh, the reverberations in popular culture are, are just all over the place. Yeah. And then one of the, one of the other lines that, and this is one that Barbara Streisand says in what's up doc is, of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine, which is a great, uh, when he, he's first going through his anguish of seeing her again after all these years. Yeah, such a great line. I'm wrong about what's up, dog. This song uh, is not on the, yeah, I'm it very sorry to, be. to everyone. It should be. <laughs> I mean, it was already in popular culture. She just covered it. It's, uh, it's fine. But, um, uh, anyway, um, that is one of the great lines. Uh, round up the usual suspects. Of course, we'll always have Paris. Uh, here's looking at you, kid. Um, it's just like again and again and again. Yeah. Uh, every every line <laughs> just yeah. ends up being remarkably quotable. It's also really funny. There's some really funny quotes. Um, mm-hmm. Some some of them are actually so one that I stuck out to me is that kind of it's just showing his worldview at the beginning and he's you know so yeah I stick my neck out for no one. He says that's another quote he says a lot. Um, but then there's a line about these two German soldiers who have recently died. It's been in the news in Casablanca and it, it's sort of related to all the intrigue that's happening with the uh, the papers. Um, I can't remember the exact line, but he says, uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. Because it is a good line. Oh, it is a good line. I know which one you're talking about. It's towards the beginning. Yeah, so he's talking to Peter Lorre. Here it is. And he says, too bad about those two German couriers, wasn't it? And Rick says, they got a lucky break. Yesterday, they were just two German clerks. Today, they're the honored dead. And, uh, which, yeah, it's it's like, wow. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Damn, That Rick. hits you. Um, but yeah, so it shows his worldview. And, and also, you know, it sets, that's one of the earlier moments where you realize, like, this movie is going to go there politically and say, like, yeah, maybe these Nazi soldiers are better off, you know, as honored to dead than uh, still in the world doing what they're doing. But um, yeah. yes, an interesting line. And, and so much of the, the again, like Rick talking to uh, Ugarte, who's Peter Lorre, and, and talking to Sidney Greenstreet. It's just incredibly fast-paced, incredibly funny, incredibly um, just watchable. I could watch that stuff all day. I think the way he rattles those lines off is, is really great. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it it's just screenplay matching person matching everything. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. I completely agree. Uh, well, you are someone who's seen a lot of old movies. Do you think this is the greatest movie ever made? You know, I think there. I, I want to quantify that there is a difference between the greatest movie ever made and your personal favorite film. Mm. Um, yes, but I. So I think of those as two separate things. Two different questions, yeah. Casablanca is one of my favorite movies. It would be in my personal top ten. But if I was looking at all the movies ever made and I had to point to the one that I think is the best, I would say Casablanca. There you have it. Best movie ever made. So don't skip Casablanca. It is absolutely worth (laughs) your time. Um, There you go. Well, uh, I think that can kind of wrap us up. Do you have any final thoughts on Casablanca? You know, Casablanca is, to sum it all up, it is what I think we think of when we think of the movies. Hmm. This is a movie that has uh, humor, suspense, um, has the gravity of real-life world implications. It has a great romance at the center of it. It has quotable dialogue, memorable images, appealing stars who are 
gorgeous and yet relatable mm. and an amazing atmosphere that somehow in this club in Casablanca with this multicultural cast of characters, you're able to capture the desperation, the hope, mm. the patriotism and the fear that was driving the entire world uh, during the early 1940s. It is a time capsule and it is what a movie is supposed to be. Beautifully put. And I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you again, Rance for joining us and we will have you back again in a couple of weeks. Next time we are going to talk about the movie all about Eve, which I've never seen. Ah, so excited. excited to dig into so that good. one. And uh, yeah, so join us for that listeners. And uh, we will say goodbye to Rance. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will uh, see you all next time. It's still the same. It's perhaps a strange circumstance. We both should be in love with the same woman. A case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. He's looking at you, kid. That is all for this episode. Once again, big, big thanks to Rance. He is proving so valuable to this podcast series. Um, Thank you for joining us, Rance. Be sure to tune in next time for a discussion of All About Eve. This is a Betty Davis movie that I have never seen, so I'm excited to dig into this one very soon. If you like what you hear, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are on. That goes a really long way. And you can follow us, Arthouse Garage, at Arthouse Garage on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Letterboxd. You can email me, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com if you have comments or concerns. And you can read reviews of new movies at arthousegarage.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, keep it snob-free.